2 Timothy chapter 2, let's begin in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, of the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying, for if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful to be able to sit at your feet and to learn from you, to be instructed your word. Lord, we are so privileged to be able to go through it verse by verse, to mine every wonderful theme, to explore every amazing truth, to be able to look directly into your eternal word that, will, that you said will outlive the heavens and the earth. So we pray, Lord, that the, the majesty of your word would arrest our hearts, that we would be attentive to everything that you want to say to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that he would be our teacher this morning, and we pray that he would uniquely make application of these things to each one of our hearts as only he can. And we trust it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we've been looking at, Paul is in prison. He's at the end of his life. He's been incarcerated for things that were entirely uh, unjustified or or not, uh, you know, against what would be God's plan for his life. And he's passing on this ministry baton, as we've been speaking about. He wants to pass on this this, uh, ministry that 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 Timothy has been entrusted with he wants to pass that on to Timothy and he is focusing now on as we've seen uh, Timothy's character first Timothy was about how the church should function second Timothy is how Timothy should function it's about his personal character and and it's interesting that God laid out for us in the word in his sovereign plan Paul's last letter would be about character. It wasn't about how the church should function, as important as that is. He started focusing on Timothy's, or finished, I should say, focusing on on Timothy's character. You can't separate character from ministry, and you can't separate ministry from character. They're interwoven. And it's sad today how so much of what people look for in a leader is so often so, so different than God's priorities. God's priorities is character and calling and all these things that only he can provide. So often man's focus is on 
you know, speaking ability or charisma or, or how they can, uh, you know, attract people into a room and all these things. And so much of it is not about character. And so it's, it's very, uh, it speaks a lot that Paul is focusing on Timothy's character at the end of his life. Because when you're at the end of your life, you say the most important things, the things that you don't want someone to forget. And Paul is at the end of his life, and he doesn't want Timothy to forget how important uh, his... He doesn't want Timothy to forget how important his character is, and his calling, and his life, as, as just as a son of the king, of, as an adopted son of God. And so that's what Paul is in the middle of in, in speaking to Timothy here. Now, as we've seen, the context is that Paul is speaking to Timothy, and we've seen that in the last week, few weeks or so. He's speaking to Timothy regarding sharing in his sufferings. If you look back with me in chapter 1, verse 8, he says there in verse 8, in chapter 1, he says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Through Paul, God was reminding Timothy that suffering was part of his calling. He couldn't separate his calling from suffering. And Timothy knew that already. Timothy had already suffered a lot with Paul. He had been on these missionary journeys. So why is God telling him again? It's because he needed to be reminded. It's because these persecutions were starting to ramp up. They're getting more intensified. Nero has set the, the city of Rome on fire and he's blaming Christians as a result of his kind of crazy, well, not kind of crazy, he was crazy. And so there's these waves of persecution, and, and it was getting more and more intense. And as a result of it, it was being harder and harder to be faithful. And that's an important theme that he's going to focus on through the entire chapter, is faithfulness. And it's, it was harder and harder for people to be faithful because the, of the pressure and of the persecution and of the difficulty and hardship that was coming their direction. In fact, if you look down in verse 15 of chapter 1, we saw Paul say this, This you know, that all those in Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. So that, that's the context here. He's, he's already started to speak to Timothy that that things are going to get harder and harder, that's getting increasingly difficult to be faithful. And there are already those that are falling away, that are those in the last days that are departing from the faith and, and, and falling away. And so Paul knows that this persecution is ramping up. It's getting more and more at- intense. And Paul knows that Timothy's has a big target on his back. He has a big target on his back anyway as a leader in the body of Christ. But especially now with the persecution coming, he, he's a very big target. So we won't understand chapter 2 unless we understand the, the, what he, Paul's already began to lay out in chapter 1, that he's asking Timothy to suffer with him, to share in his sufferings, to, to be willing to endure, and so forth. And so that's what we see as we go through verse by verse these, these um, truths. And it's important that we see that that's why we go through things verse by verse, because you do get to see the context, and it unlocks the meaning of the Scriptures in a very profound way. So these people were leaving the faith. They were leaving uh, 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 Paul, and, and so he says, that's why in 15 he says, all in Asia are turning away from me. All. I mean, it was very prolific. 
It was very uh, substantive, the people that were, that were leaving, and so he wants to inoculate Timothy against that. Now, when we begin in chapter 2, notice in verse 1, Paul exhorts Timothy to be strong in God's grace. He says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want us to highlight, therefore, the beginning of the verse. We always say, find out what the therefore is therefore. And he's pointing back to the things that he's been speaking about there. In light of all this difficulty, in light of these sufferings that I'm asking you to share with me in, in light of all of the people that are leaving, that are turning away and they're not following anymore, you be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Grace is a very important subject and topic to us, to, to, to the Christians that are, that are uh, in God's kingdom. And it's important for many reasons. I mean, we see it in 137 verses in the Bible. The word grace is used at least once. Many times it's listed multiple times in those verses. And when we as Christians think about the grace of God, we usually think about it in the context of coming to salvation. For by grace we've been saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yes, we are aware that we are saved by grace. But probably 80 to 90% of the time, that's where we leave grace, (laughs) is related to our salvation story. And we forget that so much of what God talks about in, in the terms of, of grace related to the Christian is subsequent to receiving salvation. So much of God speaking about God's grace is after we come to know him. And so once we get saved, we understand how pervasive grace really is. We start realizing that so much of what I'm about and how I live and what I do for him and how I exist, how I function as a Christian, is all because of God's grace. Sometimes when you first come to know the Lord, you're thinking, man, God is so lucky because he, and so blessed because he knows who he's getting in me and he knows that, uh, how much I can bring to the table and what I have to offer and all these things. And then the longer you walk with him, the more you realize that, Nothing is of us, that he gets glory for all of it. And it's all because of his grace that we get to even stand for any given you know, thing in the word of God or, or any given uh, day that we stand in obedience to him. It's all by God's grace. He says that it's a throne room of grace in Hebrews. And we're called to approach God's throne room of grace boldly. That's the only kind of throne room we can approach boldly is a throne room of grace. How would you like to approach God's throne room in prayer if it's a throne room of legalism or, or uh, condemnation or, or dealing, with on the, dealing with us on the basis of our performance? And some of us can get tripped up, and that's why I recommend Why Grace Changes Everything by Pastor Chuck Smith all the time. Because we realize we don't have a, f- a firm grasp on grace, but we usually never realize the extent to which we don't have a handle on God's grace. Because of our upbringing, because of our parents, because maybe our former religious environment, and we have a hard time relating to God, we have a hard time having confidence before God. Having an understanding on God's grace, related to God's grace, directs or affects our confidence when we approach him. And if you're a father that loves your children, and your child doesn't have confidence to approach you, 
When you're absolutely in love with them, you, 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 you can't wait to be around them, it hurts. Some of us have been rejected by our children, and it hurts deeply. And God knows all about that. He knows what it's like to have people reject him and not have confidence to go before him. And God doesn't want that for any one of us. He wants us to have full confidence in going before him. And so you would think that Timothy would be beyond this. He's a leader. He's a pastor. He's been with Paul for years. And he says to to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's important for us to understand that none of us lose the need to be reminded and to grow in, in the grace of God. Our calling is only associated with God's grace in the scriptures. We can't walk in what God's called us to do when we don't have grace. That's why we don't want to do anything he hasn't called us to do, because he doesn't have grace for it. And it's a mess when we try to do that which God's called us to do without his grace to do it, because he always couples with this calling the grace to do it. And that's important for us to see. God's grace is sufficient for us, even in difficult situations. Paul had received a, a lot of revelations in his ministry. And because he, there was the potential for him to be lifted up in pride and be exalted beyond measure, he says, he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Very important. So God says that as we go through difficult times, for Paul it was, a, it was a thorn in the flesh. We're not told what it was. But God allowed that. And, and he p- prayed three times. I'd be praying 50 times. Three times, that's it? <laughs> Come on, I'm a bigger whiner than that. <laughs> uh, and I'm praying to God, I'm ble- begging and I'm pleading. He prayed three times. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And, and he says there that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The power of Christ resting upon our lives and God's grace are synonymous. They're inseparable. And so as we go through difficult times, and that's the context here, as we go through difficult times, God's grace is available to us. And that's why in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter tells us, inspired by the Spirit, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a searching question for us. He tells us to grow. Are we growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ? There's there's a way to do that. Now, in our passage here, he says, be strong. Now, that verb is an interesting verb. It's It's a present passive imperative, which means nothing to you. But I'll explain it to you. A present tense verb is a continuous action. So he's saying here to continuously be strong in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also passive, which means that you could translate it this way. Be strengthened in the grace. It's something that's happening to us. We don't supply the grace. He's not saying to Timothy, you have a lot of grace in you. You have this reservoir of grace. You need to activate that within yourself 
and use that grace to be strong. And he's not saying that. He's saying that you are strengthened by grace. That's something that happens to you. But it's your responsibility to be strengthened. Now, lastly, it's, a, it's, in, it's in the imperative, which means it's a command. So God is saying uh, to be continuously be strengthened by God's grace. And he's commanding us to do it. It's not optional for us. And the whole context is suffering, context is hardship, and so forth. And so that's very encouraging to me. I don't know if it's encouraging to you. It's very encouraging to me that he starts off this, this whole section. He's going to give these illustrations and so forth about hardship. He does it by starting with the command to let God's grace strengthen us. And, and, and so we have to understand that's important for us to survive hardship. And that begs the question, how do we... How are we to allow God to strengthen us by his grace? By not trying to be strong ourselves. Sometimes I tell people, God hasn't called you to be strong when you're in a difficult situation. He's called you to be dependent. And as we're dependent, we're strong in the Lord. We're not strong in ourselves. That's why in John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus said to these disciples, Apart from me, you can do nothing. He spoke that into a context of disciples fighting who's the greatest. How well do you think that went? <laughs> wow, apart from me, you could do no, mean nothing? Are you, I mean, maybe he didn't, I didn't hear him right. He said nothing. Maybe, I, are you sure? Nothing? Yeah, nothing. Nothing means nothing in the original language. And, and it was hard for him to accept that, I'm sure. But we think we can bring something to the table. And he says, no, you don't bring anything to the table. You just need to be a vessel. And you need to surrender to me, abide in me, make your home in, in me, depend upon me. Then you will find your strength. See, what, Paul, what God was saying to Paul when he was suffering with that thorn in the flesh is that quit trying to get out of this. Quit trying to ask for it to be removed and, and try to be strong in your own uh, ability. Rely on me and then I will give you all that you need to handle this difficult situation. And it was supposed to work in Paul's life to, to prevent against him against pride. Because of these revelations he was getting. And there could be all different reasons why God works those things in us. It's not always pride, but sometimes it's, it very much includes pride. Now notice in verse 2, Paul instructs Timothy on what to look for as he entrusts this ministry to him related to other leaders. He says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be, other, be able to teach others also. He says, Timothy, you need to look for faithfulness. And I like that he doesn't say commit these things to gifted men or to charismatic men or, or all these other things. Highly educated men. Oh, man, we'd all be gone if, if that was the qualification there. He doesn't focus on that. Again, the theme is faithfulness through this whole time. Enduring translates into or means the same as faithfulness. He's talking about endurance through this whole passage. And faithfulness means that you're enduring and enduring means you're being faithful. They go together. And it brings Paul's mind to the fact that, okay, I'm passing this baton on to Timothy. He's going to be carrying on this ministry that I was involved in in Ephesus. But he's not going to be around forever either. He's going to probably be martyred as well. He needs to pass the baton on, and he wants Timothy to know what to look for. Very important. I told you that 2 Timothy is mostly about his character, but there was some intermittent little, intermittent little uh, things related to the church and how, to, how the church should function. And he says, these people that you should entrust ministry to need to be faithful. As I said before, ministry isn't rehab. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's good. It, God works it into our lives, and it make, he, we grow through serving for sure. But there's a certain level of faithfulness, especially, obviously, for leaders 
that has to be there. You know, when I was a new Christian 22 years ago, first came to know the Lord, I was in the youth group at this church. And one of the things I learned right away is that to get involved in anything that was happening there related to ministry or anything else, I had to be fat. Now, I qualify now for that in, 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 in some ways, but I didn't realize uh, that, that back then it meant something totally different. It meant faithful, available, teachable. And so I wasn't too fat back then, you know, um, in, in, in either way. I've grown uh, since then in many ways. I've become more faithful. I've, what do you mean? I meant faithful, available, teachable. What are you talking about? Uh, but, we ha- but one of those things is faithfulness. It's important. Go out there in the world today. Try to find a lot of examples of faithfulness in anything. Whether you're an employee, whether you're a father, whether you're a husband, a, 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 a son, a daughter. It's very hard to find faithfulness. This used to be something that was common in our culture. The World War II generation. They were faithful. and everything that they did, they were faithful. And of course, they had their flaws and issues just like all of us. But what, what was very pervasive in the society was that you worked hard, you did what you were supposed to do because it was the right thing to do. You didn't need any special motivation. It's hard to find that in our culture. And it carries over into the church. And it's very hard to find people that'll just be faithful, that'll just show up and be consistent, having their heart right, of course. I'm not talking about just coming and having your heart disengaged from the Lord or his people and just being a physical body. We're not talking about that. We're talking about having a faith that's engaged with the Lord and loves the Lord and wants to worship the Lord and be faithful. So we wait for people to to be demonstrated as people that are faithful before we put them in places of, of influence. And that's biblical. It's not because we're picky or it's not because that we have this higher standard that all the other churches do for some reason. It's not the case at all. We just want to be biblical. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2 tells us, Moreover, it is required in servants that one be found faithful. So what I look for is fruit of the Spirit. I look for, and one of those fruits is faithfulness, which is important for us to talk about because we're talking about faithfulness, and it is something that we are supposed to make an effort in related to allowing the Lord to work in our lives. But that's a, uh, something that comes from him is faithfulness. True faithfulness of being where you're supposed to be with the right heart is a result of the Spirit. People that have, don't have their heart engaged, that aren't called to do a certain thing, that are there all the time, they're not, that's not faithful as far as God sees faithfulness. It's people that are there for the right motivation. But also I look for humility, I look for a servant's heart. But the very first thing, the very, very, very first thing is faithfulness. Can they be consistent in their lives related to what God's called them to do. And so Paul knows that that's getting harder and harder to find, that people are leaving. Again, that's the context. And that's why he says, you therefore, in verse 3. He's connecting verse 2 and verse 3. You have to see that connection. A lot of times we divorce those things and, and we don't see that faithful men are those who are serving even when they hit hardship. That's what he's talking about. Faithfulness in the context of difficulty and hardship. That's what he's asking and instructing and exhorting Timothy to be engaged in, is be faithful when it's hard. It's not just simply being there. It's simply being there in the context of difficulty. That's what God looks at. And that's what the kind of heart that God can use. Now, Paul's going to illustrate three different ways that we can look at hardship. That's illustrative to 
uh, what we're familiar with. He says the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer. And all three groups, those uh, uh, people back then and Timothy would be very familiar with those types of people. And the common denominator, we need to know this before we look at them, the common denominator between all of them is hardship. Every single one of them deals with hardship to be what they're supposed to be in those roles. So he says in verse 3, You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Notice the word must there in verse 3. Must. It's not optional. It's not something that is up to us to decide. Well, I may endure hardship as a good soldier or I may not. It depends on how I feel that day. It depends on who was nice to me that day. It depends on my circumstances or if I'm having a hard day or, or a bad day and so forth. No, he says you must endure hardship as a good soldier. And I think it's fitting. I mean, they're very familiar with the Roman Empire and the soldiers were all around them all the time. Paul could have been chained to one at this time in prison. I doubt it in that dungeon, but it's possible. But who works harder and who, who goes through more hardship than a soldier? I mean, think of the difficulty of being in battle. And that's really the context. He's not talking about those that are on leave. He's talking about those in the heat of the battle. That's the picture. And when they're in battle, it's very, very difficult. I hear the stories of World War II when they were freezing cold and had to dig these foxholes at the end of the day when they had no more strength left and the, the dirt was frozen solid. And I mean, they're going so long with, with such extreme conditions at that stress level being elevated so high. And there's incredible hardship there. And, and Paul is likening that picture to ministry and to our calling as, as believers. And, he, and, and God knows that it's, it's a battle. But in verse 4, look with me there, he says there's a single focus that the soldier should have. He says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Now the word affairs there and the affairs of this life is the, in Greek is the original word that we get our word uh, pragmatic from. So it's very practical. It's, he's not, he's not uh, insulting these things that, you know, these affairs are it's not sinful behavior. It's not bad things. It's just not things that a soldier that's in battle has the time or uh, you know, capacity to engage in because of what they're engaged in. That's all he's saying. And so he's saying that these, these soldiers are, are very much are engaged in a single focus. Soldiers have a single focus. They're not focusing on all these other things that are appropriate and they're right, they're, but they're just not for the battlefield. And that's what he's saying. You are engaged as a soldier in a battle. And you have to have a single focus, and you can't try to save your life. You have to lose your life. You can't look back. You're not fit for the kingdom. You have to look forward in what God's calling you to do. You think about the parable of the soils that the Lord Jesus gave. He talked about the cares of this life, choking out the word of God's influence in our hearts. And he's saying the word of God has to have good soil. And that soil can't be encumbered or distracted with all these other things. And maybe some of us here have been focusing on a lot of other things. And you've been distracted from where God is. You know God's directing you in being faithful, in being, uh, putting first the kingdom of God. You know, he says, put first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. He doesn't say, put also the kingdom of God in your life as an added thing. 
as a, as a little punctuation in the sentence of your life. No, it's, it's first. And, I, and God always is going to bring us back to that every day to put him first and put his kingdom first. All these other distractions, if they're competing against what God has for us in our calling, we need to shed those things. I think of Hebrews chapter 12 when he talks about the sin and the weights that so easily ensnare us. The weights that are good things, that are freedoms, that are liberties in the body of Christ. The other Christians may engage in it in our sphere of influence, but God may not call us to that specifically because of our unique calling in the body of Christ. We have to put those things aside. He says uh, in verse 5 that this athlete isn't a good example for us as well. He says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, the, the Olympics were very popular back then, as they are now. In fact, the word athletic is a direct transliteration from Greek. That's the word that they would use as well. So you A's fans, you can feel, uh, you know, validated today. I know they're doing pretty well. Um, those Giants fans are not rooting f- for you, but uh, the athletics are doing well. That's what I've been told anyway. And so these, these athletic games were, I mean, Paul always references sports. I love it. Love that, that, him for that. That's way down the list, but it's still something that I love him for because I love sports as well. But when they would compete as an athlete, they had to o- obey the rules. When's the last time you went and watched a track meet and Everyone lines up and they're getting in their stances, you know, they're getting all, I, don't, I can't even bend down in that stance. I don't even know how they start a race like that, but they get down in that stance and then someone pulls up with a, with a moped and says, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to run this race on this moped. No one does that for many reasons because mopeds don't exist hardly anymore. Uh, but there's, or someone cuts across the field, you know, or, or you can't do that. You, you can't compete in a way that's against the rules. And if you do, look what happens. He says in verse 5, he is not crowned. Now, they didn't get gold medals way back then. They got wreaths made out of ivy or flowers or who knows what. And it was a temporary crown that fades. We are going to get a crown that never fades. And, and so we have to think about the fact, yes, we are in this incredible, difficult calling as believers But God has a way that he has set it up. His rules according to it. And those rules include hardship. But again, he's saying you have to persevere. Every one of those athletes persevere. Every one of those soldiers perseveres through through that incredible difficulty. But he doesn't limit it to just those two. He says in verse 6 that there's the example of the farmer. He says the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Now notice Paul emphasizes that it's a hard-working farmer. I guess there are non-hard-working farmers out there. They don't think they last very long, especially in this day. They wouldn't survive physically because they wouldn't be able to eat. But he says he's, he's stressing the hard work here. Again, the common denominator between all of these is hardship and difficulty and persevering. And he says that the, that the, the farmer must be first to partake of the crops. The farmer must work hard first to provide for his family. He must persevere to supply the needs of his family by working hard. And really what Paul is saying with all of these examples is that this is nothing new, Timothy. All these things that are in life, 
They, they have rules. And, and many things in life that if you compete according to the rules or how the, the entity or the thing is set up, you're going to experience hardship. And you're going to experience difficulty. It's nothing new. But one thing he does remind Timothy of is that there's a reward. Because there is a reward, even for these examples. For the soldier, it's pleasing his, his enlisting officer. For the athlete, there's a crown. For the farmer, there's a crop which feeds his family. There's an end to it. And it's very helpful for us to remember when we're going through difficult situations and when we're suffering, when we're uh, going through things because of our calling and because where God's placed us in the body of Christ, that there's an end to it. One of the most encouraging things we can say to someone in a trial is that this is going to end. For sure it's going to end in heaven when you get your new body. But many times trials that we go through, there's an end in this life. Or at least the, 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 the pain subsides for a season and we get a little bit of a reprieve. And God is so gracious. We have to remember that. God is gracious and there is a reward at the end. Every time you run a marathon, you have a focal point and you're focusing on whatever's on the horizon. But you keep thinking about the fact that this is not going to last forever. And maybe some of us need to be encouraged today. What you're going through, if you're going through something difficult, it's not going to last forever. There's a reward to being faithful. And and God knows that. And he's pleased to give us that encouragement. Now, verse 7, he says something interesting. He says, consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So he says, consider. That's in the present tense. He's saying, continuously consider Sometimes we think about meditation. We hear that word thrown around a lot. and It can be used in an ungodly way, obviously, where you empty your mind and you just let come in your mind whatever wants to come in and you empty yourself and all that. That's an Eastern thought. It's an Eastern philosophy. But the biblical meditation is when you, not, you don't empty your mind, you focus on something in God's word and you chew on it. You, know, you think about cows that chew the cud, you know, and they, they chew grass and, and they swallow it and then it comes back up and they chew on it some more and they have this this great process that sometimes you see a toddler engaged in (laughs) Uh, but you know they're not exactly trying to do the same thing but that's kind of like been the example throughout the ages is as a cow chewing its cud where you meditate and you focus on it and you you reuse it over and over in the sense that you're meditating on the truths of it and Paul doesn't have time to elaborate on all these things, especially these related to these examples. Uh, Timothy would need to consider these things continuously and to think about how they apply to him. And one of the things I love about the Lord and how he set things up, and which is getting harder and harder to find out there in terms of how people see uh, God speaking to his people, is that Paul assumes that, that Timothy can hear the Spirit. He assumes that the Spirit's going to be speaking to him and illuminating these things and bringing these things back to his remembrance. God does that. We need to remember that, that God speaks to his people. The default setting should be they can hear the Holy Spirit. And he assumes that the Holy Spirit's going to continuously be Timothy's teacher in, in enlightening these things. And he does give us further illumination. You know, Paul gave these three same uh, illustrations Back in 1 Corinthians, that was 20 years before this point in time. You think that God further illuminated these truths to Paul through these 20 years, and now he's giving these things to Timothy in a little bit different light? Absolutely. 
It happened for Paul. It's going to happen for Timothy. And it happens for us. You chew on these things. How many of us hear something on Sunday or, or in our devotion times and it just sticks with us and the Holy Spirit keeps bringing it back to us over and over again? How many of us here have experienced that? Yeah, many of us. That's important. And if we fill our minds and our hearts constantly with noise and distractions, it competes against that. And there's something to be said about being quiet before the Lord, taking a walk with the Lord, getting quiet before him. Obviously, that happens in our devotional life every day. But there are special times where the Lord say, come, come away with me for a season or a little you know, weekend trip or, or a few hours here. And we just get alone with him and meditate and have him further give revelation to the things that he's already spoken to us. And, and he may bring up things that are new. That, oh, we'll just ignore that. He may bring up things that, that are new to us, but so often it's things that we've already heard that he keeps bringing back to our remembrance over and over again. And it's important, uh, it's important for us to know that. He says in verse 8, Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not chained. Now, there's so much here. Of course, he talks about the seed of Jesus being of the seed of David, that's speaking of his humanity, which was under attack at this time with the Gnostics, saying that God would never come and you know, take on human flesh because flesh is evil and so forth. So he's focusing on that. He's focusing on his divinity. He was raised from the dead, according to my gospel. But then he says the, the reason why he suffers. He says, I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. It's because of this gospel. It's because of the eternal things that are going on through my life. And he says, they can chain me up, but they can't chain the word of God. All through the history of warfare, people have thought, you get the leaders, you kill the the rebellion or the insurrection. And that's true. And they went after leaders. And it was not a... A common thing that people would be leaders in the, during this time with this persecution. But Paul has been incarcerated many times, and it has never stopped his influence related to the body of Christ and expanding the kingdom. They can chain us, but they can't chain the word of God. They can't chain the influence that uh, God gives us in the lives of other people. So he says, this is why I'm suffering. And usually when we're suffering, as a Christian and being faithful to our calling, again, I say this all the time, there's usually ministry right around us. There's a nurse that needs ministering to when we're in the hospital. There's somebody that's watching our lives and we're going through difficulty. They are going through difficulty and they see us being uh, true to God and faithful and standing strong in the, in, in the grace of God and they're encouraged or, or our kids see us. In a very difficult, I believe God allows trials in our lives many times just so our kids can see what, what that looks like as they grow up to properly navigate a difficult situation. There's all kinds of ministry. And that's what we have to be looking for when we're in the middle of a difficult situation. Where's the ministry? Where's the eternal perspective? Where's the gospel uh, where's the opportunity for the gospel to be sown? Where's opportunity for ministry where God's people need to be encouraged? There's usually always someone there that is just waiting. And Paul says, I'm suffering all these things for others' sake. Everything I'm going through is not because of anything that I benefit from supremely. 
It's for others. And so we see that theme over and over again. He says, therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect. That's what I'm doing for other people. That they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's why I'm doing it, for the sake of the elect, that they may receive salvation. Now, he's, maybe he's talking about people that haven't received Christ yet, that will, that are going to receive salvation. But also salvation is, is, also includes being brought to heaven with our new bodies. And so his ministry includes encouraging them, and, and he's, God's using his ministry right now in Timothy's life in that way. So he's saying it's all worth it. I endure because of the ministry that God has given me. It's a beautiful thing. Now, verses 11 through 13, Paul's going to give like a poem. Many believe it was like a hymn that they sang. It definitely has structure to it. Uh, it was easy for them to remember. And he begins by saying, this is a faithful saying. Now, he said that multiple times. This is a faithful saying. It's, it's basically saying that this should be accepted without reservation, without qualification. He says, if we died with him, we shall also live with him. You didn't know that you already died, did you? <laughs> you did. Positionally, you died with Christ. Paul has already said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul has also told us this in, in Romans chapter 6, that we've died to our old life and we were going to be raised with him. And that's what he says. If we died with him, and that it's assuming that we have, as Christians, we shall also live with him. We are going to live eternally with him. Think about that. We're going to be living with him. We're told in Revelation that he's going to dwell in the midst of the new Jerusalem. We're not going to need the sun because he's going to illuminate that city uh, you know, of heaven and so forth. We're going to dwell with Jesus Christ. We need to pause and think about that. We're going to be in his physical presence. We're going to be with him someday. Look into his eyes. I can't wait. That's why we say Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. So it's incredible encouragement. He says, if we endure, verse 12, we shall also reign with him. Again, the theme is enduring. The theme is enduring and being faithful in the context of hardship. And so he's saying if we do that, again, there's an end to it. it doesn't, it's not going to go on forever. We have to endure this difficult life that we have to endure at times. He says the reward is that we shall reign with him. We gave that parable being faithful with our talents. And at one point he said as a reward to those that were faithful. He says, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter in the joy of your Lord. We often talk about pleasing the Lord by having him say about our lives when we stand before him someday, well done, good and faithful servant. But we usually don't keep quoting where he talks about, I will make you faithful over many things. And he's talking about ruling and reigning with him. He's actually going to reign with us. He doesn't need us. Can you believe that? That you're going to be reigning in the, in most likely, you know, obviously it includes the, the thousand year millennium on this earth, but it, who knows what comes after that? You're going to be ruling and reigning with him. All of this enduring is, has an end to it and it has a beautiful end to it. 
Then he adds the rest of verse 12. He says, if we deny him, he also will deny us. This is a warning for Timothy. Again, the context is, is, is being faithful. To being faithful and enduring difficult situations. People were departing from the faith. People were leaving. People were uh, uh, deserting Paul and so forth. And he's telling Timothy to keep persevering. Keep persevering. Remember Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 10 verses 32 and 33. Whoever confesses me before men. I will, uh, him I will confess before my father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men. Him I will also deny before my Father who, who is in heaven. God wants us to be faithful and endure no matter what we're going through and stay true to our confession of faith all the way to the end of our lives. And so uh, you can't say that this is talking about those who don't know him. The context is not that. The context is Timothy. Timothy knows him. He's already said that he has a genuine faith. So, so he's saying don't Hold fast to that confession. Hold fast to your boldness and, and who Christ is. You need to endure through, your, through the entirety of your life. We're talking about overcoming. We're talking about, we've sang about it this morning. Overcoming means enduring all the way to the end. Holding our confession all the way to the end. No apostatizing. Now he says in verse 13, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And this is a huge encouragement. We could pass over this very easily. He says, if we're without faith, there are many times that we're without faith. Where we're, just, we're just without any resources to trust God. I remember the, the time where the, the, the girl needed to be having a miracle from Jesus. And he said, I, you know, I don't have that kind of faith. You know, uh, increase my faith. And, and he, didn't com- he didn't condemn that man. He was gracious to him. And, and what little faith that he did have, he honored that faith. You know, Jesus said, if you have the faith of the grain of a, must, a seed of a mustard seed, that you could say to that mountain, go and be cast into the sea. Jesus' focus is on how great God is. You have a great, powerful God. We, if we, our little trust and feeble trust that we can muster at times gets a lot done because we have a powerful God. God doesn't want us to have faith in our faith. That's the error of the faith teachers that think of it as some kind of tangible, conductible force uh, that we get more of and less of and, 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 and all of this. And, and God says, no, I've given every man a measure of faith. And because I am big, because I am great, because I am who I am, I'm steady no matter what. And that's what he's saying in verse 13. He says, God is not going to change whether we're faithless or not, whether we uh, follow him, whether we deny him, what, what, whatever it is that we may do. He, he's going to remain faithful. And we need that. We need a God that's not going anywhere. <laughs> we need a God that's not dependent upon us. You know, it cracks me up in the Old Testament. They carry their gods around. Their God needs them for transportation. Think about that. That's not healthy. And if your God needs you for transportation, what can it do for you? What can God do for you? I think that's a slogan for something. What can something do for you? But what can God do for you if you're carrying him around? God doesn't want to be portable. <laughs> you know, he's bigger than us. So he says, even if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He's the, the, the ultimate constant in the universe. 
He's all his attributes. He's the most of all his attributes. He cannot be any less than the most of all his attributes. What I mean is he's all loving. It means he can't be anything less than all loving all the time. He's all patient. He can't be any less than totally 100% patient all the time. He is the most of all that he is all the time. And that's very encouraging to us. He began the chapter with talking about grace. Remember, he's talking about enduring in the context of grace and God's power. But also at, the, at, the, at this verse 13, we see that he's going to remain faithful. It's beautiful. Because he's gracious, he's faithful, he's calling us to be faithful, but he gives us that grace and the capacity to be all that he's called us to be when we're facing incredible situations right now or in the future. And so that's what we need to focus on today. I think that's what he's saying to us today. He knows it's hard. He knows it's difficult. He has compassion for how difficult it is right now, what you're going through. He has all the compassion you would ever need. And all the grace and all the mercy, you just needed to rely on those things and focus on letting his grace strengthen you. Because he commands us to do it in an ongoing way, in a continuous way, because we need it. Let's pray together. Thank you for all these things, Lord. We thank you for your great grace that you've extended to us. Help us, Lord, to be dependent upon you even more. And I pray for those that are going through difficulty right now. I pray that you would lift their head. I pray that you would pour in encouragement, Lord. Freshly fill them with your Holy Spirit. Help them to see how big you are and how great you are, Lord. Help them to see that that you're so powerful in their situation. We know, Lord, that we're weak. We know that we're frail. We know that at times we're totally faithless, but we know that you're faithful, and we know that you're gracious. So I pray that you'd bring all the encouragement, all the perspective, Lord, that we need Your people are dependent upon you. We need you. We thank you that you're a faithful father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.